I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name is Trevor. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Risen, and it's good to be with you on this Easter Sunday, this family Sunday where we've got kids in service. Um, we are going to dive into a sermon together, and uh, we won't spend too long in this text because we're together and we've got plans and we've got family, and it's, it's great to be here. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to join with me now in opening up to Matthew chapter 28. As you're doing that, I want to just say, if you're new, welcome. It's so good to have you here. We as a church gather here every single week, and we believe that gathering together, somehow when we show up, we meet God. Um, And we've said this uh, recently as a church, we've said it would be a shame if you woke up this morning and you came here to meet God and you just ended up meeting us. Um, we're not that special. We're not that interesting. Um, we're here because we believe God is here. And as we gather each week, we find that our joy and our peace seem to increase. And so if you're looking for peace and joy in your life, uh, I can't recommend more highly gathering together with a good church, of which there are many. We're not in competition, but if you're looking for a good church, um, we'd love to have you, and we do hope you feel welcome. After service next week, as Wesley mentioned, we'll have a Pizza with the Pastor event, which is just me hanging out with those of you who are new. Any questions you have about God or Christian faith or the church or me or anything, I'm happy happy to answer. My, I will tell you this, my car knowledge, super limited. Um, super limited. So that wasn't true. I won't be able to help you there. But we'd love to have you there next week, um, and we hope you have a wonderful day. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. This is the text that's going to frame our time together this morning. Uh, it's a familiar text. Some of you know this text well. Uh, here we go, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like Lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, 
Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Well, this resurrection text sets the stage for what I want to look at together this morning. In 1922, German-born scientist Albert Einstein was staying at the Tokyo, uh, um, the, uh, the Tokyo Imperial Ho Hotel. And it was at this hotel that he was informed that he had won the, uh, the Nobel Prize in Physics. As he was staying at this hotel, a hotel worker arrived at his door to give him the news. After receiving this information, Einstein felt that it would be important to give this young man a tip, but didn't have one on him. So he pulled kind of the ultimate dad move. He grabbed a piece of paper and he wrote a note on it. He gave him a, a tip, but not via money, but instead via writing. And he wrote on this piece of paper to the hotel worker, he wrote, a calm and humble life will bring more happiness than the pursuit of success and the constant restlessness that comes with it. Einstein gave that note to the young man, told him to keep it, saying that one day it might be worth more than any amount of money he could give him. That, I mean, such a dad move, right? And the hotel worker surprisingly listened to Einstein's advice. 95 years later, the hotel worker's nephew contacted winners' auctions and exhibitions, and they had an auction in Israel. The note was put up to auction, and the opening bid was $2,000. About 25 minutes later, that note that Einstein wrote was sold to the highest bidder for $1.3 million. A note written by Albert Einstein after winning the Nobel Prize, wherein which he says, a calm and humble life will bring more happiness than the pursuit of success and the constant restlessness that comes with it. Let me ask you this morning, how happy are you in your life? Did you arrive here this morning filled with joy or did you arrive this morning striving and hoping that if you just get to that next place, then maybe you'll be satisfied? The great thing about being a Christian is that we don't just have a source of happiness or relief from trouble when things are difficult, but we have a source of eternal, expanding, never-ending joy. And that joy is available because of the resurrection of Jesus. There is nothing you are going through in your life that a good resurrection can't fix. And what the Bible says is that everyone can have great joy when they understand what happened 
this great morning in Matthew chapter 28. So I've got three quick points this morning that I'll work through. They all deal with this concept of interruption. Because my hope is that your life is interrupted this morning. Maybe just being here on Sunday and coming to church, maybe that's an interruption to your weekly rhythm. But I want you to see some interruptions. And here they are. First, life interrupts death. Secondly, divinity interrupts history. And third, relationship interrupts religion. I'll repeat those again for those of you taking notes. Life interrupts death. Divinity interrupts history. And relationship interrupts religion. When we start Matthew 25, we discover the women who are at the early morning headed to the tomb of Jesus. And you just need to get that they're in funeral mode, right? They are They are still in mourning. Jesus' body had been sort of quickly wrapped, placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And as they are headed that early morning, they're headed to pay respects. They're probably not wearing all black, but you can imagine that that's maybe the sort of posture that they're in. If you've ever gone to a funeral or memorial or to a grave site, right, there's a sense of decorum, a sense of respect, a sense of honor, a sense of somberness. That's their posture as they're headed towards Jesus's tomb. They are in funeral mode. Death is hovering over this moment for the Jesus that they followed, the one who did miracles, the one who was raising the dead and healing the blind and proclaiming the truth and who was doing all these incredible things, was crucified and was buried. And in the first century, if your Messiah was crucified and buried, you went and found a new Messiah. It was over for you. There's a sense of death haunting this moment as they head to the tomb. A hopelessness haunts them as they go into mourning. Let me ask you, is that what your life is like in any way, shape, or form? Do you have this sense that there's a sort of death kind of hopelessness kind of haunting your life? Is your life sometimes just a big death distraction? Death is hard for us, isn't it, right? We don't really know how to mourn it. We don't really know how to process it. Most people in our life who die don't die in their homes. They die somewhere else. And so we are sort of inoculated against the realities of death. And we find ourselves going through life knowing that death is like 100% certain. Every one of us, right, 100 years from now, all new people. No one's going to be here, right? We're all in this line. There's a, there's a sand timer that exists sort of invisibly above our heads that's ticking down the minutes until our end. We don't know where we are. We think, some of us, that we've got a long way to go. Some of us think we've got, I got 40 years, 50 years. Some of us maybe don't have two weeks. We don't know. Death sort of hovers above us. It is inevitable. And into that hopeless inevitability of death, resurrection breaks forth. Jesus is resurrected. And this resurrection changes 
everything. Because this resurrection, if it's true, means that there is life after death. That death doesn't get the final say, but that there is life beyond the grave. And because there is life beyond the grave, then what we do today ultimately really matters. Sometimes when people think about Christianity, they will say something like, um, Christianity is just pie in the sky when you die. I don't know if you've heard that, that phrase, right? Sort of Christians just sort of believe this stuff because they need some sort of hope. But I want you to see that if the resurrection is true, it's not just pie in the sky when you die, it's steak on your plate while you wait. It's now, today, and forever. Because if it is true that the tomb is empty, and if it's true that there's life after death, and if it's true that God is actually God, then it means that how we live our lives today matters because today continues forever. Because there is life after death, life today takes on greater significance. Last, on Friday night, we celebrated and we remembered what we call Good Friday, which is not just the remembrance of someone dying. A lot of people die on crosses, or at least have historically. This cross is special because this cross had Jesus of Nazareth hung on it. And this cross is the place where God says, though death and separation from God is what all of us deserve, through the death and resurrection of this God-man, Jesus, we can now have life with God forever starting today. If you get that death is just a hiccup, in your eternity, you have access to a kind of joy that nothing can, nothing can take that joy from you. Oh, death, where is your sting? What can you do to me if it is true that even if you take my very life, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Imagine believing that. To die is gain. Now that doesn't mean that life doesn't get difficult or that we don't experience challenge. What I want you to see is that the women who are headed towards the tomb expect death and they walk away from the tomb and they're filled with great joy. Headed to death, away with great joy. Why? Because that tomb is empty. Some of you are afraid of death. Some of you are concerned about death. You can have great joy today. You can hold on to joy that's available because Jesus is resurrected. That's what these women experience, and I genuinely hope that you would experience that same thing today too. Okay, life interrupts death. Secondly, divinity interrupts history. The late atheist and author Christopher Hitchens said, the mildest criticism of religion is also the most radical and the most devastating one. Religion is man-made, he said. 
Now, I know that when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, I've been a pastor long enough to encounter people who say, come on, you don't actually think he resurrected, right? This is like a nice idea to gather together on Sunday and to talk about the symbolism of what this could mean, but you don't actually believe it happened. Many of us today in our post-Christian, post-modern world see the resurrection as a beneficial story, a man-made creation. But that couldn't be further from the truth. We don't believe in the resurrection just because it's beneficial. Though it is, we believe in the resurrection because it happened. It's divinity interrupting history. The women are on their way and they experience a rumble, a kind of earthquake, and they get to the tomb and the stone that was there has been moved. And there sits an angel who's like lightning, who's looking at them going like, I know what you're here. I know who you've come to see. You need to know he's risen. They weren't expecting this. They weren't desiring this. This is just something that happened to them. The guards, so taken aback that they faint out of fear. I love that Matthew points to the tomb and says, the guards are like dead men, and the dead man is alive. And the angel says, don't be afraid. He's risen, just like he said. Come and see. The tomb is not open so that Jesus could come out. The tomb is open so that the Christians could look inside and see that God had acted in history. Come and see. This was not on the agenda that morning. These women are not expecting this. They are not constructing this. This is something God is doing, something God has done. Christian faith is about what God has said, about what God has done, about what God has revealed, about what God is doing. We are here this morning because God is at work If your life is changed, I want to be very clear, it will not be because of my sermon. It won't be because of our music. It won't be because of any of the festivities. If your life is transformed spiritually this morning, it will be because you met God. So many of you are here this morning because you know you need God. Now, lecture. Why am I saying this isn't made up? How can we know? Well, we know people don't rise. We, we know that. That's kind of normative. But if you believe in God as we do, a resurrection is nothing. If God can create life, God can certainly create resurrections. And this isn't a faith claim I'm making. It's a historical one. So let me just geek out with you for just a moment. Let me give you some things that every, almost every, almost every ancient New Testament historian believes. Christian, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, if you, no matter where you exist in the academic sphere, if you are a student of New Testament or a professor of New Testament history, here are things you believe. This is what everyone agrees on. Nearly all historians agree Jesus really lived. Jesus really died via crucifixion at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Jesus really was buried in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. 
Jesus' tomb really was discovered empty by these women. Jesus' disciples and groups of people encountered Jesus alive after he was dead. And Jesus' first disciples, contrary to their expectations, suddenly and sincerely believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now you can say, I don't think it happened. That's fine. But you've got to be honest about how do you explain these things? If you're skeptical, here's what I would encourage you to do. Um, Start writing a book on it. Because everybody who writes a book on it seems to become a Christian. Just countless numbers of people who go, I I mean, I have people who say to me like, I don't believe it. And you say, have you really looked into it? A lot of people say, I don't believe in it, but they do not have the intellectual credibility to say, I'm actually going to look into it. And if it's true, I'm going to give my life to it. The argument I'm just making simply to you all is that this is history. This changed things. They didn't make it up. If you're making up a story, you don't start by saying women found Jesus. At the time, women were seen as unreliable witnesses. So why, why women? Because that's what happened. If you're making it up, you don't start by saying that the heroes of your movement are like denying Jesus and not understanding stuff constantly. If you're making it up, you don't say, well, there's this other theory that was moving around that I guess could be plausible. If you're making it up, you don't do those things. And you need to see that this changed everything for them. The early Christians, because of the resurrection, started working the implications out and they developed a reputation for dying in ways that made no sense to the world. As Christians were being killed, more people became Christians. Why is that? Because Christians were like, you can take our lives, but we have something beyond this. They were so happy so filled with joy and radiance. And they weren't just happy, they were compassionate. The early Christians, when the Romans would take their infants and toss them aside, when they would have babies and maybe even daughters and would say, I don't want this daughter and throw them into the streets. The Christian deaconesses, the women deacons, would go and collect the infants and would raise those children as if they were their own. Radical compassion. And everywhere the Christians went, they started proclaiming this message of radical inclusivity. They started saying, everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how much you know or don't know. Everybody is welcome into the Christian movement. We all enter through the same door, the empty tomb. Now you want me to think that these people died with radical joy, were radically compassionate, and were radically inclusive because a group of fishermen made up a religion? They didn't make this up. This is divinity interrupting history. A great famous Christian historian said, if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is risen, 
Nothing else matters. Third and finally, relationship interrupts religion. Notice that as the women are sent away from the angels in verse 9 and 10, the women meet Jesus and they fall down at his feet and they worship him. They are so overcome by the resurrected Jesus that they worship him. Now the Bible continually tells us that the only one who is worthy of worship is God. And these women are worshiping Jesus because he is God in flesh. And this is what it means to be a Christian. When things are hard, when things are difficult, we hold on to the immovable fact that Jesus is resurrected and that he is present with us right here, right now, by his Spirit. God is closer to you than your next breath. They were afraid. But now they had joy. Their fear was gone. And they're now in the presence of Christ, worshiping him because he was alive. I just want to end by dispelling one more myth. Jesus didn't rise from the dead to give us a new set of rules to follow. Now, now, like we've already gone through in this service, we seek to follow a, a, a way of living that is Christ-like because we desire to be holy like God is holy. And we understand that how God calls us to live is for our good and for our thriving and for our neighbor's benefit. So yes and amen to all of that. But what I want you to understand is that Christ is not resurrected to give us another religion. He came to give us something better. He came to give us himself. He didn't come to create another religious movement. He came to redeem you, to rescue you, to invite you into relationship with himself. And when you get him as resurrected and as Lord of all creation, you will worship. I mean, you're already worshiping. David Foster Wallace, the great writer, was given a giving a commencement speech. He was not Christian, and he famously said this in his commencement speech. Here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Wallace was on to something, right? He said, we are all worshiping, 
We all are living for something. The question is not if we worship, but what do we worship? These women rightfully notice that if Christ is resurrected and he is who he says he was, that he is worthy of being our highest and greatest good. At its core, God is man's highest and greatest good. And these women go and they tell. They go and they proclaim. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, if you're a liar, a thief, a murderer, if you're broken, if you've cheated, if you've failed, if you're living a double life, if you've taken advantage of others so that you can be promoted, if you're pursuing with relentless abandon a kind of success that seeks to mistreat and step on everybody on your way to the top, it doesn't matter where you are or what you've gone through in life, God wants to meet with you in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And he offers himself to you this morning. All you need to do is repent of your sins and trust in Christ. It's there that you'll discover purpose and joy. Everyone can have joy when they encounter Jesus. Repent, trust, and enter into new life. I want to end with this quote from George Herbert. George Herbert said, Death prior to the resurrection of Jesus, used to be an executioner. But the resurrection of Christ makes death nothing but a gardener. When death tries to bury you, death's really planting you. And because of the resurrection, you will rise up to something better than before. Death has been defeated. You can have joy. Life interrupts death. Divinity interrupts history. Relationship interrupts religion. It is my hope and prayer that you do not leave this morning without actually meeting the God who is here, the God who is resurrected. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, is it true? Is it true that death does not get the last word? Is it true that there's life beyond this life? Is it true that we can be forgiven? Is it true that great joy is available? Is it true that we can have hope in the face of despair? Is it true that you've acted in history in such a way as to draw us into the presence of your son, Jesus, so that we might have life now and forever. Yes, it is true. Yes and amen, because Jesus is resurrected on Easter morning. And Lord, I pray for all the doubters, all those who are struggling, all those who are in despair, all those who are wrestling with questions, all those who are seeking you, God, that they would meet you this morning because we believe you are here in our midst. We thank you that Easter changes everything and that there's nothing in our life that a good resurrection can't fix. Death has been defeated. It has been defeated. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let us rejoice. Let us celebrate. And let us show the world that we know what it's like to encounter God at the empty tomb. It's in your name we pray. Amen.